0: Good morning. My wife and I are so thankful for you. We're thankful for your generous support, your faithful and sincere prayers, and for your leaders who have already taken time to care for us, meet with us, and pray for us upon our return. And thank you for the opportunity I have to try with God's help to teach his word Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the marvelous love of your son. It's so wonderful. We were so sinful. We were condemned and unclean. But we thank you for sending your son and his sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that in Christ we are washed clean. And we are no longer condemned, but declared righteous. We are forgiven and reconciled with you. Thank you. And Father, now as we turn to your word, we ask you for help. Help me in the preaching not to rely on my notes, to rely on myself in any way. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit to preach in ways that will comfort and strengthen and edify and give life. May your sheep be well fed in accordance with the greatness of your love. And I pray for all who sit and listen. Father, I pray for them. Father, please soften their hearts. Help them to receive your word with meekness, with a hunger and a thirst like a deer panting for streams of water. So we look to you for help as we continue to worship now. In Christ's name, amen. In Serbia, God ordained suffering for me and my family. Some of our co-workers had left left our missions organization within our first year, and that was disorienting. Due to complexities with our visa situation, we had to find a new church, and that was very discouraging. We loved our church. We were burdened by the difficulties that you were facing here. It's not easy to bear burdens on the other side of the Atlantic. Georgie had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis after we moved to Serbia. And that has been very humbling. One day we were on our way to the hospital because she had contracted COVID. But just before going, our young toddler, Luke, who's about two and a half now, so he was probably close to two at the time, he hurt his arm and he couldn't move it. Fearing he had broke his arm, we got an appointment for him as well, but Georgie's appointment was first. So Luke and I dropped her off at the hospital and tried to find parking. No, the hospital there doesn't have a parking lot. You have to park on the street, and parking's A nightmare in Belgrade. It's very stressful, almost always. So, of course, we couldn't find parking. And Luke and I were driving around in the heat of Belgrade in our van, which I might add did not have air conditioning. You see, they don't have many seven-seater vans available, and we had to order our van, and we ordered it with air conditioning. Um, Well, we just happened to be the first family for Volkswagen Belgrade that had the order... Uh, sent wrongly to the headquarters. So Volkswagen produced a van for us that didn't have air conditioning, and they felt terrible, and they apologized. And eventually, maybe a year later, thank God we have a new van. That's another story. But Luke and I are going around in the brutal heat of summer, and all of these things are on my mind as my little toddler is in pain and uncomfortable behind me. We get stuck on a side street, a one-way street with construction, and now we cannot move. And I was sitting there thinking, my memory's correct, I am thinking I was going over all of the converging and compounding trials in my life in Belgrade, thinking, these trials are tailor-made. And then suddenly, there was a crash. A huge dump truck backed into our van with metal forks piercing through and shattering the back window of our van, coming in feet of my little boy's head. And of course, the police came. When they came, they wanted—they con- con- were convinced I was at fault and wanted a bribe. God ordained suffering. I'm looking out at many of you who are sitting in seats with a different arrangement of various kinds of trials converging and compounding in different ways, I'm sure. But in my affliction, this truth comforted me that the Spirit prays for me. And to this day, this truth comforts me, strengthens me, and guides me. Now, I want to comfort you with the comfort that I have received. This morning, I'm giving you a coin, a coin of comfort that has two sides. On the one side, the inscription is this, the Spirit prays for you. You flip the coin on the other side. You can read the inscription, the Father answers his prayers. Prayers. Paul wants his readers to be sure of these things. The coin is Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 29. But before looking at these verses, we'll look at two other potent truths to comfort and strengthen weary pilgrims. So this, and eventually I do have some parting words. So there's the context... These two other potent truths we're going to look at. And then the main chorus, the coin, both sides of the coin. There are two parts there. And then I have some parting words, like a basketball game. This message has four parts. First, the context. When we come, and you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 there if you have it, we are dealing, the second part of this chapter is about suffering, And the author who wrote to these Christians knew suffering more than any of us. On another occasion, you can read 2 Corinthians 11, where he catalogs his suffering. So he knows what he's writing about, and he wants his readers to be sure of some things in their suffering. Of course... I will focus this sermon on that middle potent truth of the Spirit's prayers. But after that, he writes about the love of God. You can look with me, if you will, at verse 35. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution... And he goes on. These are the kinds of suffering that might tempt us to think, you know what, maybe Christ doesn't love me deeply anymore. Maybe he's against me. Maybe I've done something that has weakened his love for me. Paul anticipates his readers having these kinds of thoughts. And he answers the question in verse 37, He says, no, in all these things, that is in the tribulation, in the distress, in the hardship, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Notice the past tense, loved us. Jesus proved his love for you in the past. On the cross, the evidence that he is for you and that he loves you is not whether the sun is shining or it's raining. Mm -mm. Not our circumstances. It's the cross. And that's why Paul can say in verse 38, he says, For I am sure, are you Christian? Paul says, I am sure, and he goes on in verse 39 to say that nothing will be able to separate us, he includes the Romans. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, be sure of this. God loves you. that's what Paul writes about after the paragraph on the Spirit's prayers. But he also writes about something he wants the Christians and readers to be sure of beforehand. He wants the readers to be sure of the hope of glory. You can look at verse 17. Paul says that the children of God, you inherit everything that is Christ's. I know real estate is sky high in Toronto. If any of you are caught in the rental market, take heart. There is a down payment. You inherit all the real estate of the new world. And that's not a joke. That's something to think long, to think about for a long time. We are heirs of God, Paul writes, fellow heirs with Christ provided. Provided something provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him it's not a popular evangelistic text for evangelistic sermons you can have everything that is Christ just say this prayer no paul says this provided this you suffer with Christ There's a road of suffering that leads to glory. God has ordained suffering on the path to glory. Verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly. Now, I was in the delivery room For all five, my wife and I have five kids, so for each birth, I was there. I witnessed the pain. And there are other rooms in that section of the hospital, and I heard the cries. Paul says that our suffering is like the pains of a woman in labor. And Paul knew that pain. But look at verse 18. Paul was sure of something. Not only was he sure of God's love in his suffering, he says, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. With the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul was sure of the hope of glory. He imagined seeing Jesus face to face. Receiving a resurrection body. Can you imagine Paul's back all the times he was whipped? A new back worshiping with all the redeemed in the new world, enjoying God's presence. Lions laying down with lambs. No more pain, no more tears, no more sin, no more death, no more letters to the Corinthians. Paul moves from the hope of glory to the prayers of the Spirit to the love of God to comfort and strengthen weary pilgrims and to help them endure. And in God's providence, this letter came to the Romans just years before Nero was on the scene. And people receiving this letter would be burned alive. That's far worse than no air conditioning. They were literally thrown to the lions. Well, Let us move to the second quarter. Here is the first side of the coin that I offer to you in the form of an exhortation. Be sure that the Spirit prays for you. In verse 26, Paul writes, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise, in the previous paragraph, Paul writes about the hope of glory. And just as the future hope of glory helps you to endure, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But how? Paul writes about how the Spirit helps us. Look, we continue in verse 26. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Now to intercede means to speak to one person on behalf of another. So Paul is not talking about spirit-filled prayer. Paul writes a lot about the importance of our prayers, our habit of prayer in the New Testament, but in this sentence he's not talking about our prayers. In chapter 12, he'll say be constant in prayer, but in this sentence, no. He is saying that the Spirit himself is praying. Sometimes in our weakness, either we can't discern what to pray, or we think we know, but we don't. We are weak with insufficient insight But thanks be to God, he prays for you. And Paul wants you to know how the Spirit prays for you. He will also touch on what the Spirit prays. But first, please let us look at how the Spirit prays for you. He prays for you intensely. Verse 26, Paul continues but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That sounds intense because it is. Now, is the groaning metaphorical? I read one author who thinks so, but whether it's actual groaning or some mysterious intensity likened to the concept that we know of groaning? I don't know. Regardless, Paul wants us to know that the Spirit himself prays for us with great intensity. The Spirit of God himself Paul wants you to be sure of this. That's how he prays for you. And what does he pray? At least categorically, we know the direction of the Spirit's prayers. It's a secret, the specifics of his prayers. It's mysterious. But we know the direction because Paul tells us the direction of the prayers. Now, we might expect Paul next to say, and he intercedes for you according to the will of God. And Paul will eventually write that, but that's not what Paul writes next. In verse 27, Paul writes, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Paul wants his readers to think about who the Spirit prays to. Yes, to God the Father, but Paul doesn't write to the Father. No, notice how Paul describes the Father here. He describes him as he who searches hearts. Your heart is like an ocean. Very deep. Proverbs 25 says that the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. the Father sees the bottom where all that muck and guck is, the darkness, He sees it with crystal clarity. He knows you. He knows your suffering. He ordained it. He knows your desires. He knows your good desires. He knows your good desires that have actually Started to become bad masters. He knows your evil thoughts. He knows the evil that has been done to you and the toll that has taken on your soul. He knows your frame, Psalm 103. He knows your fears. He made you. You're His handiwork. And He knows the changes that need done in your heart next. Renovations don't happen like this, there's a procedure. And the Father knows, but so does the Spirit. Notice what Paul writes. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That means the Spirit knows the will of God. The Spirit knows what the Father wants to do in you. He knows. The Father has desires for you and a plan for you. And the Spirit knows it and he intercedes for you according to the Father's will. That's what he prays. He prays God's will for you. At least generally we know that. The specifics are a secret. So Paul wants us to know here, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but this is good news, the Spirit is praying for us. Now, when we were in Belgrade, we were living, we've been living there for two years and four months. And after living in an apartment for the first six months, seven people in an apartment, we had to find a house. We needed some more space. And uh, we moved to a, a subdivision called Zemun. We found a house. There aren't many houses there, but we found a house. We found some good space. But it was a very old house, and uh, uh, families hadn't lived in this house for a long time. Startup companies would rent this space and set up tables and laptops and try to start businesses. So uh, it was an old house, and the, the bathrooms were awful, and the windows were awful, and it was, it was awful. But <laughs> there was space, and in Belgrade, it's very hard to find rental houses, very hard. So thank God he provided this space. Now, I'm not an interior designer. I'm not. <laughs> but there are some things I know. I know that in the bedrooms, we need beds, yeah, And I thank God for Ikea, there's an Ikea in Belgrade. So I know you put the bed in first and we set it up and then you figure out, okay, we need night tables and we need lamps. I have an idea of the finished product. So those, there are some things that I know. But when the plumbers came and the electricians and they got into the nitty gritty of the problems of an old house, I was thankful for their insight. I was thankful because I didn't know what to do next in the bathroom. I knew we needed a new sink and that we'd need a new tap. But I don't know what size or what kind. And there's much I didn't know. There were deep plumbing issues and they would go down to the basement and they would go into the electrical board and there's all this deep stuff that needed to be addressed before they could give me some direction on what I could buy. I didn't know what needed to be done next. I had insufficient insight. And when it, but when it comes to our hearts, the Spirit knows. He sees what the Father sees, and He prays accordingly. His prayers are related to the deep stuff down at the bottom of, down at the bottom of your heart now. Be sure of this. The Spirit prays for you. He prays for you intensely, and he's praying the will of God for you. That's the first side of the coin. And it's comforting because that means you're not alone. You're not alone. You may not have thought of this for weeks or months or maybe even years, fellow pilgrim, but the Spirit has been intensely praying for you. That is comforting. So here's the question that some of you might naturally have is, well, does the Father answer his prayers? We all know what unanswered prayer is like. Well, that's what verses 28 and 29 are all about. This is the second side of the coin. Welcome to the third quarter. Be sure that the Father answers the Spirit's prayers. Now remember, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Verse 27, "The spirit knows he prays accordingly, but what are the effects of His prayers? What are the effect, What is the effect of his prayers for those who love God? Verse 28. It's a famous verse, but let's read it in context. And we know, we don't know what to pray, but, whoa, there's a wire. (laughs) But we do know, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but we know this. You can be sure of this. You can be sure these prayers are getting answered. Oh, yes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. His prayers are effective. They work. In response to his prayers, God will work all things, including the converging and compounding trials in your life that are tailor-made All of these things are his servants for your good. You may say, Pastor, you know, one thing about pastors that you guys get to go to seminary and you learn and you get trained to serve God. And I just wish that I could go to seminary one day. Well, I want you to know you are in seminary. There is one seminary that all Christians can never escape. And that is how God trains us in the trials of life. They are tailor-made, and you can't pay for that. You can't enroll in a program that that's, that's that good. Nothing compares. And it's hard. It's awful. If we're honest, it's so painful. Like a woman in labor. We don't want that part. We want to see the newborn baby. We, it's hard. Do you realize what the good is in this verse? What is the good? How does Paul unpack the good? You know, what is the good life here in Canada? I mean, specifically in your heart, where you're sitting. If I could give you a pen and paper this morning, and if I said to you, please write down what you think the good life is, and then I qualify it with this. No, not what you, how you should answer the question. <laughs> no, but just be honest. What does your heart long for? What does your heart say that would be good right now? You know, or or to help you, what are your intense longings? I know what the Spirit is intensely praying for. I know what he's the, the longings, the groanings, I know his prayers. We just read about them. But now what about your heart? What's the the intense longings? You know, oftentimes many of us we're not longing. Character change. No, the good is pleasant circumstances, isn't it? Now, you know, Paul's been saying you will go to glory. It is so pleasant there. Oh, just imagine! But there's a road of suffering there. Paul's, not, you know, Paul's not recommending now on the road of suffering. Constantly be consumed with trying to change your circumstances now so it feels really nice. Now, no, he's saying, No, 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 heaven's not now, perfect circumstances aren't now, that's later. There's a road of suffering there, but we do long for an easier pathway, don't we? No, this is the good, this is the good. The good has something to do with the will of God and deep stuff in our hearts that the Spirit is praying about. That's the good in verse 28. And Paul will elaborate on the good in verse 29. But before we go there, notice what Paul writes next in verse 28. He writes, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We've been called according to His purpose, God has purpose for you. He has a plan. Things that he wants and wills to do. Things that please him and are for your good. And he really cares about the condition of your heart and what's going on in there, down there. Oftentimes, we can use Romans 8.28 thinking that God will work all things for my good. And we have a plan. We have a plan. And what God needs, the genie in the bottle needs to execute my plan. Because I've got a good idea. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We long for God to change our unpleasant circumstances. And I would say that's not a bad thing. The Bible's full of this. I mean, Hezekiah prays for health, doesn't he? The Psalms are full of psalmists praying for God to deliver them from their enemies. It's not wrong. It's not bad. But when it comes to what is uppermost in God's heart, What a window into the heart of God we have here in Romans 8. I want air conditioning in my van. I don't think that's a sinful desire. I want my son's arm to be healed. I want my wife to be healed of MS. You know, even Jesus prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. If you've been praying about better circumstances, you don't necessarily need to feel like you've done something bad. That's reasonable. But when Paul writes about God's will in verse 27 and God's purpose in verse 28... Look at how he clarifies this in verse 29. He writes, For, he elaborates on the good the Father will do in response to the Spirit's intense prayers. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is God's pre, before you were even born, his pre." Before he even created the world, this, you were in his mind. You were on his mind. And he has a predestined plan for you to conform you into the image of his son. You talk about plans, you want a financial plan and a retirement plan, and I want a new diet for the summer? I do. I want a new plan, a new regime, you know? We got plans, we plan things, and we give it attention, and we even pay big bucks for consultation. We care about many things, you know, but what a window into the heart of God here. Look at what he's planning. Look at what's on his mind. Look at the attention he's giving. He's predestined this stuff. And oh, how instructed it is. Oh, yes, this is reorienting, isn't it? Yeah, I need to care more about what's going on in my heart. I need to care more about my character as a representative of the Lord Jesus on this road of suffering that leads to go- glory. Yes, this is helpful. The good life is being more like Jesus Christ on the path to glory. Being more like the one who was abandoned by his friends, betrayed by Judas, and misunderstood more than any other human who's ever walked on planet Earth. He suffered immensely on the path to glory. And Paul is writing here to Christians in Rome preparing them for the suffering they're about to embrace and he's saying you have the hope of glory but the sp- but you have a road of suffering on the way but on the way there but the spirit of god is with you and he will be praying for you intensely all along the road helping you to become more like jesus christ so that you honor him and please him more and more And then one day you'll see him and have nothing to be ashamed of on that day. This is what Paul's writing about. He wants us to be sure that the Spirit is praying for us intensely and to be sure that the Father will answer his prayers. Now, I was saying that, you know, I I want air conditioning in my van and I want my... A little boy's arm to be healed. You know, I, that, that's reasonable. But, you know, God has used suffering in my life to humble me. You know, you sent out a sinner. Right? You sent out people to do missionary work. But you, you, I'm just like you. And God's been using trials to expose selfishness deep in my heart. Ways that I've been more governed by fear than by faith. He's been humbling me, humbling us. But that's good. That's the good. That's the good. And let me clarify, when I speak of the good, of of heart change and character change, that doesn't mean that our personalities get torn away. No. No, what Paul's writing about, when he writes about being conformed into the image of God's Son, he want, God wants to make you the best version of you. <laughs> Not stripped of your personality and your precious uniqueness, which is God's handiwork, but stripped of everything in the ocean of your heart that would never be found in Christ's. On the pathway to glory, God may change our circumstances. But one thing we can be sure of is that He is at work to change our heart and our character in and through the training of our trials. We can't be sure of many things in this life, but we can be sure that the Spirit helps us intensely by praying God's will for us. (laughs) And you know why this is a strengthening truth? It's strengthening because, let me say this, have you ever had a godly person pray for you? Just raise a hand, make sure you guys are with me. Okay, if your hand is up, isn't that encouraging? That is is a strengthening experience when someone that you know is godly and, and, and they're praying for you. James writes that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Well, how much more encouraging to know that the Spirit of God Himself is intensely praying for you. That strengthens weary pilgrims. Be sure that the Father answers the Spirit's prayers. So we have looked at the context of this passage. We have looked at this precious coin, both sides, that the Spirit prays and the Father answers his prayers. The fourth quarter will be shorter than the first three. (laughs) But I have some parting words at the end of a message like this, parting words for the unbeliever and for the believer. But I'll start with those of you who are not believers and you've come here this morning. I'm thankful you're here. It's the best place to be in a Sunday morning with God's people. But I must be, I must be frank with you and I say this with all gentleness, but this passage is not comforting for you. This, this is not a comforting passage. Because this this is written specifically for those who are trusting in Christ, who have the hope of glory. And in this letter, earlier on in chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 5 to these Christians. He says that one day there will be a day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That's not a day of glory. That's a day when you meet the wrath of God and judgment and everlasting shame. There are tears there. And pain. And sin. It's the complete opposite of the hope of glory. So the question I want you to think about, and I'd be happy to talk to you after the service, is what is your comfort in your suffering? I would imagine... You are locked into thinking about better circumstances because your hope, your life is very earthbound. But there's hope for you. You don't have to live that way. In the book of Romans, Paul talks not only about the wrath of God, but he talks about the love of God. He writes in Romans 5 that how sin and death came into the world through a man named Adam, the captain of team humanity. And sin and death came into the world through one man and death through sin. In all of humanity, Paul writes, we are condemned and guilty and sinful and separated from God. We're not in the Garden of Eden, are we? I mean, look at Romans 8 again. He's talking about life, it's like a... Like a woman's in labor. It's just its painful. It's so hard when we're groaning. And this is all as a result of that original sin and rebellion in the Garden of Eden. But in chapter 5, Paul writes about Jesus Christ. He's the the new captain, the second Adam from above who reinstates sinners in God's love. Through Jesus comes grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. If you're willing to confess and admit your rebellion, that you have suppressed the, the, the truth about God in your unrighteousness, if you're willing to acknowledge that you haven't given thanks to God as the creator the way you should, if, if you're willing to say, you know what? It's true. I haven't honored God as God. I, I'm, I'm a rebel. I, I'm not really following God. I'm not, I'm not trusting in his, his son, Jesus, who has come. But if, you're, if you, the Bible says later in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter what you've done. Paul says, Everyone, anyone can benefit from the saving work of Jesus, but you must turn to him, cry out to him to save you and be your king. And the good news is that if you believe that, not only do you get forgiveness of your sins, all the guilt is removed, all those sins are punished on Jesus, who you can celebrate as your, the sacrifice for your sins, he also gives you the Holy Spirit to help you in this God-cursed world. You get the Holy Spirit. What a gift. That's my parting message for you. And I would love to talk to you more about that after if you have questions. But I have a parting word for my fellow pilgrims. Because some of you critical thinkers might be thinking this. Well, pastor, preacher... The passage is teaching that the Spirit's going to pray for us intensely whether we're aware of it or not. Like, It's not as if listening to this sermon is going to somehow increase the Spirit's prayers for you. It's not as if you even coming here this morning is somehow going to ramp up the way the Spirit's interceding for you. I mean, He's just going to do it because He loves you. He's, he's just going to do it. So, you know what? What difference does it make? Huh? What difference does it make? Well, Paul felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to write it out in this chapter. It's something that he wanted the readers to be aware of and to think on and to be sure of. So how can you be sure that you are sure? How can you leave this sermon and live life this week thinking about whether or not these truths are actually, this coin, this coin of comfort is actually, you know, being properly invested. Is it something that you're actually thinking about and being edified by? Well, there are many things I could say, but on the tree, think of of Psalm 1, you know, the tree, we are like a tree, The, the righteous are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit. The person that bears fruit is the person who's meditating on God's word day and night. So if you're to meditate on this truth day and night, if you're to meditate on this coin and say, yeah, yeah, the Spirit is praying for me, I believe that. And the Father is going to answer it. That's right. That's the good. It's my heart. It's my character. As you meditate on that truth, what difference will it make in the fruit that gets produced in your life? That's what we ought to think about, right? Well, in this very book, when Paul talks about application, in Romans chapter 12, listen to his words carefully. He writes, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you've been saved by the lamb who was slaughtered on your behalf, and if he has won the loyalty of your heart, now you, Present your body as a living sacrifice. He goes on to say that is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This coin. With these inscriptions about the Spirit's prayers and the way the Father answers them, this stuff can renew your mind so that in your hardship, you don't go along the road of suffering the way that unbelievers do. But you can be transformed by these truths with a humble resignation to God's goodwill in your suffering. That is the fruit the only fruit I will mention this morning. There is more, but a humble resignation to the Father's goodwill. It means that when you are in the midst of your converging and compounding trials, and if you're meditating on this truth, And thinking about this truth, it will start to incline you to say, like Jesus did, Father, if it's at all possible, if it's at all possible, please help me. Help me in this bad circumstance. Help me to get to the hospital. Now my son, I can't even get to the hospital. We can't leave the scene of an accident. My boy's in pain. What can I do? God, help me in the midst of this help me help me would you help me that's good it's appropriate to pray for better circumstances but Jesus prayer didn't end there did it no not my will but yours be done it, we can you can you in the midst of your hardship and trials that are tailor made you can say god i am praying i'm praying i'm thinking about romans 8 it's on my mind you know it's on my eight, on my mind i'm praying for change but god help me May your will be done. I know, I know, I know the Spirit's praying for me. And I know that there's work to be done in my heart and character. So please, you know my request for the change of circumstance, but I'm praying help me to yield myself to you in this. Help me to resign myself like Jesus on the cross. Help me to yield my spirit to you. Help me to be open to the good work that needs to be done in my soul. That's the kind of fruit that this. Paragraph can produce in your life if you meditate on these things and believe them. How's that for a coin? You know, what could be more valuable than that? Let us pray. Father, oh, Have mercy on us. We thank you for this comforting truth that strengthens us and guides us along the road of suffering that leads to glory, that the Spirit prays for us. We thank you that you answer the Spirit's prayers. My my prayer, Father, is that you take this truth and you'd plant it deep in us and that you'd shape and fashion us in the likeness of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.